Father, we do thank you that you are wonderful. We thank you for your goodness. And we thank you that you are increasing our passion for you, our hunger for you. And we do want that, Father. We want to be more passionate for you. We accept your invitation to hunger and thirst for your righteousness, to seek first your kingdom, to desire spiritual gifts. Lord, we want, passionately want those things that you've made available. We want you, Father, greater way. We know that that means that we need to submit ourselves to you. As you continue to show us how and lead us and give us the grace to do that, choose to cooperate. The Holy Spirit, we invite you to teach us and minister to us today. We invite your conviction and we invite your grace that will enable us to implement your word and be doers of your word. Thank you so much. Very grateful to you. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. All right, this is the last part. It's of part four of a four-part series that I've been doing about spiritual hunger. If you haven't heard any of the previous sessions, they are on the um, website under the podcast. And just to remind you guys, we are not live streaming anymore. Uh, so those of you who are watching at home will not hear this announcement because you're not watching right now. But we're not live streaming anymore because of uh, we just... Our technology, we just want to do a better job of, of, um, of presenting that. And, and so we don't feel like at this point in time we're ready to present that or, or uh, offer that. So we've temporarily suspended that. So, but you can still hear the messages on the podcast. This won't be live. Okay? So if you're missing next week and you try to turn it on so you can watch us, it's not going to be available. Uh, but anyway, uh, continuing... Last week we talked about, as we're reading in Ephesians, we see Ephesians chapter 5, and there's a whole discourse, it's probably one of the famous passages concerning marriage. And we see towards the end, we see that God relates or compares our relationship with Him to marriage. And I've always been curious, I've known that, be, I've known that before, but I was curious as to why, and I believe one reason He showed me is so that we can have a picture a practical picture and, and practical things we can do to develop our relationship with Him. If we can relate it to something that we can physically understand, then we can apply that, that application to our relationship with Him. In other words, if we want to grow in our relationship with our spouses, our husbands, our wives, we know that there are practical things we need to do. It's not going to just happen automatically. Those of you who've been married for more than 10 years... You know that your, your passion for your spouse just doesn't stay that way by itself, does it? Oh, anybody married in here? Okay, it doesn't happen that way for me. Let me explain. But we have to be intentional in our relationship with our spouses. And you know, I was thinking about this too. You know, people say that, you know, our, our relationship with God should not be about emotion, you know, and people get wigged out when, when, we're, when people are emotional about the relationship with God. I was going to say, okay, if you, if you believe that or agree with that, let's take that same premise and put it on the relationship with your spouse. 
You should not be emotional about your stuff. Anybody going to buy that? No. I mean, God gave us our emotions. Now, we should not be emotionally dominated or dominated by our emotions. But it's okay to have emotions. That's what God gave us as part of our makeup. And it's okay to allow those emotions to be expressed in a positive and a healthy way. As a matter of fact, if you're not emotional or passionate about your spouse, then there's some work you need, you got to do. There's some things you need to take care of. And it's the same thing with our relationship with God. If, if you have a healthy, vibrant relationship with your spouse, then you're going to be passionate. You're going to have emotional feelings. You should. And it's the same thing with the Lord. If you're not, that doesn't mean you're always going to be or have these intense emotions towards your spouse. We know that. Because relationship, marriage is not a, just about emotions. It's about commitment first. Commitment first, because commitment is what's going to get you through the times when there is no emotional excitement. Maybe you and your spouse are going through a hard time together or just as a family, or there's just some circumstances in your lives where you're just having a very difficult, challenging time. So you're not full of passion and excitement. That's where commitment undergirds you when you're committed. That's why I don't tolerate when I hear people say, well, I just don't feel that way for her anymore. Using that as an excuse to abandon the covenant that he made with his wife or her with her husband. Because you don't have those feelings doesn't mean that you abandon the commitment. Lord, just because we don't feel, have those feelings doesn't mean that we just push them away and say, well, I don't feel excited about God anymore, so I'm going to go try something else. That's foolishness. Amen? And so last week I started talking about sharing some practical things we can do to develop that passion for him again. If you've been a Christian for a certain amount of time or or any length of time and you're not excited about him anymore and you find yourself going through the motions, but you want to be passionate about him, you want that to grow again, what can you do about it? And that's what I want to share. I started last week and I want to continue today to share some practical things that we can do to enable our passion to increase again. And the first thing I shared last week was we need to invest, excuse me, we need to protect the relationship. We have to protect our relationship, not only with our spouse, but in the same way, our relationship with God. Because there will be things that will try to distract us or take us or turn us away from our relationship with God. Remember the scripture in James chapter 4. When James says, you adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred or enmity or hostility towards God? Therefore, if you desire to be a friend of the world, you will be an enemy of God. And using the analogy, as I was sharing, if I, if me being married to my wife, if I had, if there was someone that I allowed in my life, another lady that hated my wife and wanted to break up me and my wife so that she could replace her. And if I was spending time with this woman, and you knew about it, and I just told you, it's not a big deal, we're just friends, it's all good, you would think I was crazy. Some of you would slap me upside the head a few times. Rightfully so. Just like we can't, we wouldn't tolerate that. Anything or anyone who's anti my spouse, but why do we put up with things that are anti-Christ? 
things that would try to get us to turn away from him. And the world system is designed for that very thing. It's antichrist. So if we think that we can be in bed with the world and we can be fully partaking of the world and have a passionate relationship with God, we're fooling ourselves. The Bible says if you do not love the world or the things in the world, for if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. We cannot love the world and the Father at the same time. I cannot love my wife, someone who hates my wife, at the same time. Make sense? And so we have to, we have to protect our relationship with God. That means going on the offensive, removing things. And you would know in your heart because Holy Spirit will put his finger on things in your heart that may cause you to lose your, or you lose your affection or that will diminish your affection for him. And there are things that will be different between us. There are, and there are things in my life that I know if I participate in these things for a long time, and they're not sinful things, it's just stuff that I know how it affects my soul. And then my soul gets all cluttered with this stuff. And so what it does is it causes my passion for him just to go down. My desire to spend time with him begins to subside. And my desire to participate in these other things. And so you know what those things are. I'm not going to try to list all these things because I'll miss yours. And then you think you're off the hook. But you have to protect your relationship with God by removing, blocking these things out intentionally. Saying, no, I will not do this. So we have to protect. And we also have to invest in a relationship. We have to spend time with God. And you know what's crazy, and, and I know I've said this before, and I know Pastor Dale's preached on this many times, which I appreciate because of his foundation of encouraging us to spend time with the Lord. That has encouraged me over the years. But isn't it crazy that we all in here would say that we love Jesus? But if we were to take a poll, probably the thing that we all struggle with the most is spending consistent time with Jesus. Isn't that crazy? Me included. I have not overcome that temptation to to allow distractions or busyness or whatever to keep me from him. So I have to consistently fight against that. I have to be intentional in spending time with him. So what I do is I set times. If I'm going into a busy week, and what I have to do is I look at my calendar and I say, okay, that's, an, that's going to be an exceptionally busy day. So when am I going to spend time with the Lord? And then I'll put an appointment on my calendar with Jesus. It'll say time with Jesus. Because if I've, I've learned that if I'm not intentional and I don't schedule that time in, then what will happen is that day will get real busy and I'll be busy doing stuff. I'll not spend time with him. Now, there are days, there are times when I've gone a day or so without spending time with him. And it's not like I've backslidden and I've gone to hell or anything like that. But I want to spend time with him because I want to grow closer to him. It's not fulfilling a religious duty so I can check it off my checklist. Now, there's been times when I've been like that. Okay, read my Bible. Good. Done that. Okay, I prayed in tongues for a while. Good. Did that. I prayed. Yep, did that. Okay, now I can move on with my life. Anybody ever had that kind of attitude? 
If you're there, if that's where you find yourself, don't condemn yourself and beat yourself up. Just recognize that and say, okay, I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to move past that. So we have to intentionally invest in our relationship when we have to protect our relationship. Number three, we have to honor his word. That means reading the word daily. And I think the Holy Spirit told me this the other day because I never had this thought before. But I wrote it down. Reading the word is one of the purest ways to commune with him. Reading the word of God is one of the purest ways to commune with him. Say one more time. Reading his word is one of the purest ways to commune with him. Why is that? Because it's something that he's written to us. Right? It's his communication. That he wants us to read. So if you want to get to know God, you want to draw close to him, one way is to commune with him through his word. Say, well, I want to commune with Jesus. But didn't Jesus become flesh? And before he became flesh, he was what? He was what? Say it louder. He was the word. The word became flesh. The word became flesh. That's a hard concept, even for me. I don't understand all that. But somehow Jesus and the word are intermingled together. The word is important. I would encourage you, if you find yourself, you say, well, the, the Bible's boring to me. I don't read the Bible. I would encourage you to pray this prayer. God, I want to be hungry for your word. I want to be more hungry for your word. And you just go after him and you keep knocking on his door or you keep pulling on his robe or whatever. You keep bugging God until he puts that desire in your heart. I prayed those prayers before when I recognized that I didn't have a desire for something, but I wanted to have a desire for something. And I'll say, God, I want to want to pray more. God, I want to want to read your word more. And I would just ask that over and over and over. The Bible says that when we pray according to his will, guess what's going to happen? Do you think it's his will for us to read his word more? Do you think it's his will for us to spend time with him more? So what we're doing is when you find yourself when you don't have that desire, but you're asking him to give you that desire, you're lining lining yourself up with him. You're saying, God, I want to come after you. And you're praying according to his will. And in my life, I've seen that he's granted those. There's times when you just can't get enough of the word or you can't spend time. You know, there's, there's just this grace that comes upon you that enables you to go after him. And again, of course, we don't just spend time with him when we feel like it. We spend time with him because we love him and he's worth it. Just like your spouse, you don't just spend time with her when you feel like it. Now, if your wife will let you get away with that, then go ahead and try it. He wants you to spend time with her. He wants us to spend time with her. Number four, worship is huge. Worship, 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 worship. That's why we place such an emphasis on worship here. Because we believe, you know, the Bible says that God is looking for worshipers. John chapter 4, he's looking for worshipers, worshipers. 
Will that be you? Will you be one of those kind of people? When you're worshiping, you know, you are intentionally. That's one way to intentionally set your focus on his goodness. When you worship. And last week I mentioned how one important thing is. Excuse me, Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. says, now dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. The Bible tells us that we have to intentionally set our mind on things that are good, true, noble, pure, of good report. And just like I shared, we need to do that with our spouses. Because if you've been married for more than a day, you know that your spouse is not perfect. Doesn't take a long time to figure that out. But what can happen in our marriages is we dwell on their shortcomings. We dwell on the last time or the last times they offended me. We dwell on when he or she didn't do what I felt like he or she should have done. Or the things that irritate you about your spouse. And you begin to dwell on these things. And you play that record, you set that DVD on play on repeat, and you play that over and over and over and over and over. And then you wonder why your attitude towards your spouse is negative. You know, I wouldn't even have to say anything. And I guess it would be the countenance of my face or my attitude or the air that I'm carrying with me. My wife would say, honey, are you mad? No. You upset about anything? Nope. I'm lying through my teeth. And I even think about it, it's like, I'm not mad about anything. It's like, well, what's going on with my attitude? Because she hasn't necessarily done anything, but it's where my mindset was. I've been focusing on the things that she has done or hasn't done in the past that she should have done or shouldn't have done. And so my mindset gets set in that mode. And then so my attitude towards her is negative. And she's like, something's not right. Are you okay? Is something wrong? No, I'm all right. And so the Holy Spirit showed me to do something where I intentionally set my mind on her great, her wonderful qualities. I'll just sit there and look at her while she's sleeping. She didn't even know it. And I'll just sit there and look at her and I'll just think how wonderful she is. How awesome is she? How she's so loving towards me. How she takes care of me and her family. And then I just start thinking of the things that I enjoy about her. And just her personality, her characteristics. And I just dwell on these things. Now, of course, I can choose to dwell on her shortcomings. But what good is that going to do? That hasn't worked for me. So I choose to dwell on her wonderful qualities. And what does it do? It sets my attitude towards her. An attitude of gratefulness. And all of a sudden, guess what? That passion begins to fan into flame. I become more passionate. I desire to spend time with her. I desire to love on her. I desire to serve her. Anybody see the relation between spouse and God? We can set our mind on the things that we're upset about God with. Too many people do that and they get stuck. Or we can choose to say, you know what, God? I don't understand this, but you're awesome. You're great. You're wonderful. And as I worship him, that's what I'm focusing on, his goodness, his greatness. And what does that do in my heart? It causes me to want to move towards him, even if I don't understand. 
Even if I've been upset or disappointed, I'm still moving towards him because of my focus. That's what the word is saying. Whatever is good and lovely, meditate on these things. Last week I talked about daydreaming. I said, do, and I encourage you to do it as often as possible. And that's intentionally setting your mind on him and his kingdom. If you weren't here last week, you can listen to the recording from last week. I don't want to go into too much detail. But basically, daydreaming is when I put on worship music without lyrics, instrumental. I'm in a place where I won't be interrupted. And I can just close my eyes and just think about the goodness of God. Think about how wonderful he is. And also what I do is I daydream about me doing things that he says that I should be doing that I'm able to do. I daydream about me laying hands on the sick. I daydream about scenarios of raising the dead. How crazy is that? I used to daydream when I was like college. Actually, I didn't learn about daydream until after. But I would daydream about scenarios where you're facing and encountering an atheist. And there's this big showdown. And then they're like, well, you can't prove God, that kind of thing. And then the atheist, he's, he's you know, being diagnosed with cancer or crippled or something. Yeah, in a wheelchair, that was it. Then lay hands on him, pray for him, he gets out of the wheelchair. And then atheism is gone. You know, those kinds of things. I remember after I did that for a while, I remember two years later, I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I want you to become the man that daydreamed. In other words, because I was daydreaming about me doing what Jesus did. And then I realized, wait a minute, you set me up. You're the one that was kind of leading me down that path. So I want to encourage you. I know that sounds like a crazy concept and people may take issue with it. If it doesn't drive with your spirit, then set it aside. So I'm not going to rank that up there with reading the word and spending time. All right, you understand me on that? Right, daydreaming. Next, feed on good preaching, teaching. Feed on. I'm talking about things that are going to encourage you, that's going to increase that passion for him, for his kingdom. Listen to. I mean, we got all kinds of podcasts and all kinds of stuff on the Internet, on TV. There's great information out there that you can avail yourself to, to, to feed you and to encourage you and stir you up. On Mondays, what I used to do was listen to sports radio all Monday because I wasn't allowed to work my day off. My wife caught me doing work stuff. She'd get me. I have to, had to repent and, okay, I, you know, just leisure and, and just enjoy myself. So I would do sports radio. But then it was like, yuck. I mean, I just, just feel yuck. So I felt like the Holy Spirit encouraged me, why don't you listen to some podcasts? Why don't you listen to this and I start, so I start listening to certain preachers. And so I'm working around the house or doing projects or whatever, I have my headphones on, and I'm listening to preaching. I notice a difference in my attitude. Felt built up, felt encouraged, positive attitude. Because if you're a sports fan, especially this last year with the Thunder, Oklahoma State, listen to them, it wasn't good news. And so it always put me in a bad mood. <laughs> But if I'm focusing on him who always wins, then it's definitely going to make a difference. Number seven, hang out with people who are spiritually hungry for his kingdom. You know, and again, as I shared this last week, if you hang out with people, if you're kind of struggling in your marriage, 
and you hang out with people who are struggling in their marriage or maybe recently divorced or they're on the verge of divorce and they're bitter with their spouse and you're hanging out with those people and you're struggling in your marriage, don't you see a train wreck waiting to happen? Don't you see a disaster setting itself up? Speaking of marriage, hang out with people who are passionate about their spouse. So that, that passion can, can rub off on you. And same thing with, with hunger for God. Hang out with people who are passionate about him. You know, I had lunch with a brother the other day. This dude is passionate about Jesus, and it was so fun. We were sitting there talking across the table and just talking and talking. And when I left there, I was ready to look for a dead person. I mean, I was just excited about God just because of my fellowship with this person. So hang out with the right people. Number eight, change your home, culture, and family environment. Change your home culture and family environment. And I put also together with your spouse. Now, husbands or wives don't get a revelation. They go home and say, all right, we're changing everything at home. First of all, if you don't have your spouse backing you or you guys aren't doing this together, it's going to be a train wreck. So you definitely want you and your spouse to be on the same page. But what do I mean by changing the environment? We have to change the, our home environment needs to be, if it's not already, it needs to include and embrace and welcome his kingdom, his presence. I want my home to be a place where Holy Spirit loves to hang out. I don't want to invite him to a place where he's grieved or quenched. It's like, you know, CJ, I love you, but I, I don't want to go to your house right now because it's anti-me. But setting our environment to where God, Jesus, heaven, his kingdom, it's part of our lives. And it's not just something that we relegate to Sunday. You see, in our culture, it's so easy to do that. And we do that so often. We separate. You know, Greg talked about we live a separatist life instead of a holistic. Soul, spirit, and body. It's like we live lives where we, we do our jobs or we do these natural things. And then we spend time with God. And we go to church. Or we pray or do those. But then we go over and do this. And we separate them. Instead of everything being intertwined. You know, God with me at work. Or God with me at school. We're at the grocery market or wherever that he's with me. I'm conscious of him. I'm inviting him. I'm talking to him. If I'm talking to somebody, I become conscious of them and him and say, hmm, how can I get them connected? You know, where we, that becomes our lifestyle. And see, a lot of times we have a hard time of sharing Jesus with people outside of Sunday is because it's. We're totally in the soulish realm, and then we're trying to jump over into the spiritual realm, and it seems so weird and it's so difficult for us to make that transition. So hard. And then we feel guilty because I know I should be witnessing. I know I should be telling people about Jesus, and we're stuck. And then we get all this guilt and condemnation. And then we may try to jump out on witnessing somebody, but it's so awkward and so weird and everything that it's a failure. Never mind, I won't do that again. So the whole system is all messed up. But if we, get, if we begin to, at home, invite him into our homes and we're talking about him and we're worshiping as a family and we're, and we're enjoying ourselves as a family 
with Jesus included. I don't know if I'm making sense. Having a hard time explaining it. But I just know that culture has to change. You know, we are, as far as the children here at New Covenant Fellowship, I know the curriculum that, that's being introduced to them, that they're being taught. They're being taught, your kids that are here, maybe you know this or not, they're being taught about the Holy Spirit. They're being taught about praying in tongues and, and exercising the gifts and praying and laying hands on the sick and that kind of thing. That's what we're teaching our kids here. Some of you may think, wow, that's pretty cool. Some of you may be freaked out at what I just told you. Like, oh my goodness. I don't know if I believe in that stuff. Be in the wrong church. But you can be excited about that. Say, oh, great, I want my kids to learn that kind of thing. But if you, if we're just doing it here and teaching your kids that here on Sunday and they're not getting that Monday through Saturday, then guess what's going to happen with that information? For the most part, nothing. Because they're going to begin to, then we're just reinforcing and teaching them that on Sunday you act this way, but when you're at home Monday through Saturday, you act this way. See what I'm saying? And we need to teach our kids that, no, it's all interrelated. And I want to encourage you to ask Holy Spirit to give you ideas as to how to change that atmosphere in your home. You see, I'm not saying go home and start Bibles. All right, kids, sit down. We're going to start reading the Bible, and you will enjoy it. Get that scowl off your face. Right now, sit down. We're going to read the Word. And we're going to have a good time. Let's worship. Get your hands up. Get them hands up. <laughs> Hallelujah, Jesus. We love you. Get that small. You know, we, we just get this attitude. And see, I used to kind of do that. It was an attitude because I would feel, all right. Yeah, no, we got to we got to do something. We need to worship. We need to read the word. And I would go, and then I would discern these attitudes because I'm trying to change the culture. And they're like, "What's going on? How come all of a sudden we're doing this?" I'm like, "Shut up and sit down and get your Bible out." It's like that doesn't work. It doesn't work. But if you can do it in such a way, and I believe Holy Spirit can help you, will help you, and I can. He will help you. That work can be fun, it can be exciting, it can be enticing with your family. You involve them in, hey guys, let's do this. How can we do this? Have fun with Jesus. And then your kids get involved. Especially awesome when they decide they're going to lead worship. And then you have your kids leading your family in worship. I remember back in the day, and there's probably pictures, and, and if they end up on, the, on Facebook, it's not my fault. Trey or Bryant, if you're listening to this. But there are pictures of Trey and Bryant. They're probably seven and eight. They're dressed up in suits. I guess when you preach, you have to be in a suit. I guess I don't, never mind. And, and they would, they'd be wearing these suits, and Trey would, they would take turns. Trey would preach, and then Bryant would lead worship, vice versa. And do that with the family. I don't even know if Grant and Joseph, you remember that, because you guys were real little. Benjamin and Julia didn't even exist. Well, they were in heaven still. And we'd have fun. And we'd just do stuff like that and have fun. And, of course, the worship was maybe not the most beautiful as far as our ears, but I'm sure heaven enjoyed it. And then even now, I have older boys that love to lead us in worship. But I remember 
One thing I had to do fairly recently, not too long ago, I recognized, remember actually it was a couple of months ago, when I was saying I recognized when I was talking to my sister and I recognized I'm not as hungry as I used to be. I'm not as hungry as I desire to be. And I said, Lord, what's going on? What happened? And he began to show me things. And one thing he showed me was the home environment. It had kind of started sliding, sliding. And what was happening is, comparatively speaking, we didn't watch that much TV. But I'm not comparing myself with anybody else. But I noticed that we were watching a little bit more. A little bit more. And then what I was noticing as, I, as he was showing me this, we were doing more of that and less of him. And I remember what would happen is I would come home saying, okay, we're going to have a time of worship and we're just going to have a great time, family worship. Come on, we'd sit down and have dinner. And what became our tradition is we'd turn on Chopped or some show like that. We'd all watch it together or America's Got Talent or some family show. We just watch it together over dinner. And my intention was after that, we would transition and have family worship. But then what I noticed what would happen is me, I just sit there and just like sitting there. Let the TV do all the ministry. Then yeah, we'll do it tomorrow night. Then the next night, yeah, we'll do it the next night. The next night. You see what I'm getting at? And what the Holy Spirit was showing me is that we need to change that culture. We, had, we decided to make some choices, but I went home and I talked to my wife. And I said, here's what I feel like Holy Spirit is saying. How do you feel about this? Agreement with that. And so we made some choices. And it was not just to take away. Because what we used to do is, all right, no more TV. We'll repent and turn that, t- you know, throw the TV out or whatever. You know, you throw it in the trash or give it away. And then next month you're buying another one. Anybody ever do that before? Like, that was stupid. But it was, what I feel like the Holy Spirit was saying, he's saying, do this. It's not just totally throwing it out. But minimize or, or diminish that activity and replace it with something. If you just diminish it, then you got all this time, you're just bored. Then you got to fill it with something. And so he would say, replace it with kingdom stuff, with family stuff. Do family stuff together. Just hang out as a family. Play games. Or watch something wholesome, edifying, that's going to glorify him. Have times of worship, reading the word, those kinds of things. And some of you may say, well, we can't do that because all my kids want to do is just play video games and watch TV. Question for you. Who's the parent? You know, I hear this, and I know I'm about to tread on dangerous territory, but that's okay. That's what I get paid for. But I, when I hear parents say with their children, all my child will eat is macaroni and cheese and hot dogs. I can't get them to eat any vegetables or anything else. And so what does that parent do? They just give them macaroni and cheese and hot dogs. I'm thinking, wait a minute, who's the parent here and who's the child? I think the roles got reversed. The Bible says foolishness is in the heart of the child. And the rod will deliver it from him. I'm not talking about just spanking, but I'm talking about discipline as far as correction and training. And see, I remember when I was a kid, and my mom would, you know, I grew up in a single parent home. My mom would cook dinner, and she'd lay it before us. And I'm like, ew, I don't like that. She said, that's fine. I'm about to eat it. 
Oh, okay, what can I eat? That? But I don't like that. That's fine. Can I get something else? No. Guess what I started doing? I know it's hard, and and sometimes out of convenience, we just want kids to be quiet. We want them to be happy, so we give them what they want. Children will choose things that are not healthy for them. Foolishness is in the heart of a child. And so if we let them play video games as much as they want, then guess how long they're going to want to play video games? If we let them choose these things because they want to please the flesh or the soul. We all do. And so if you give them that freedom, that right, guess what they're going to do? They're going to go after that because it's fun, it's satisfying, it's exhilarating and all that kind of stuff. Say, son, would you prefer to play video games or come and worship with us? I'll see you guys in a minute, Dad. I'm, I'm finishing this round. And, and so I know there's a dilemma because it's like, man, all my son or all my daughter wants to do is, is play video games or whatever. Okay. Now, if you're okay with that, fine. But if you want to change that environment, going and throwing away their Xbox 1085 and saying we're going to worship instead, I don't think that's the right thing to do. That system is coming out next Christmas, by the way. <laughs> Maybe I was prophesying the next system. I remember years ago when, now I'm not the healthiest person as far as health food and that kind of thing, but I do like to make choices to move in the direction of being healthy. Now I'm pretty slow on this, but I remember, I don't know if it was something I saw on TV or read on the internet or something, but I learned that margarine, everybody know what margarine is, that stuff that looks like butter? Margarine is outlawed in some, some countries. You know that? Margin is outlawed. It's illegal. So instead of sneaking in drugs, people sneak in margin. Hey, man, how much for that stick? Yeah. Just kidding. But the point was it's, it's not good for you. It's bad stuff. It's just a stick of chemicals. But I grew up on that stuff. I mean, margin, me, we were friends. I love me some margarine. And then every once in a while I get a taste of some butter. It's like, what is that? This margarine is spoiled. What is that? Because I developed a taste for margarine, I didn't prefer the real. You know what I mean? And then I remember one time, I, I just got this thing. It's like, man, margarine's that bad, and we're putting that in our bodies. And, uh. and I just thought, you know what? We're going to change that. So I went home and told my wife. I said, hey, Lisa. So I just learned that margarine's really not that good and said, I would like to make just one health choice. Because she's trying to move us. A lot of times she'll get all aggressive and stuff and start giving us this brown colored rice. What happened to our rice? There's something in it. Oh, this is what you call dirty rice, right? So she would try to go further. I'm like, honey, please wait for us. Come on. But anyway, I decided I was going to do something healthy. And I said, let's, let's replace margin with butter. Make that change. She said, okay, I'm, I'm for that. And so I remember making an announcement. Do you guys remember this announcement when you started this? Because they were younger. I remember Trey and Bryant, they were a little older. And, and they were like me. They were margarine lovers. And see, we eat a lot of rice in our house. So 
you know, butter on rice is good. Anyway, so I remember sitting at the dinner table, and we had our tub of margarine sitting there. And I said, guys, this is the last tub of margarine, margarine that we're buying. Like, mean, Father. I said, after this tub, no more margarine. We're going to Strictly Butter. Man, I might as well have tried. I mean, it was like, but come at it. No, I'm just kidding. But they were, they were freaking out. And they were, it was so funny. I was like, whoa, I hit something here. Anyway, so it's like, well, and, and it was a nice good size, so it was going to last us. And so it became real precious, that, the tub of margarine. But I remember when it was gone, I said, remember, hon, when you go to the store, remember to get butter. Remember to get butter. And I remember people turning their noses up and just ah, having a hard time with this butter. And this was years and years and years ago. And then that passed, and then butter became okay. And then I remember a time, I don't remember how long, maybe a couple of years or something, where Lisa made a, a dish and it required butter. I know we were having rice, so we needed you know, butter, and we didn't have any butter. And so it's like, well, I'll run into town. We live out in Glencoe, out in the country. And so I said, I'll run into town to Glencoe real quick and get some. So I run into town, and they didn't have any butter. All they had was, I'm like, oh, well, this will do. And so I go and <laughs> take it home. <laughs> At first, I know the first problem was when we sliced it and put it on top of whatever vegetable, I think it was corn or something, put it in a microwave, and, it, and the, we take the bowl out, and the vegetables are steaming, and that lump of stuff is still sitting there. It was like, whoa, the microwave didn't even kill it. Look. But then, that was the first thing. And then the second thing is we sit down and start eating it. And the boys are like, man, what, it, what, what is this? Like, it's margarine. Their taste had changed. They didn't want it anymore. It became grotesque. Like, man, what are you trying to do to us, Dad? It's like, well, that's all they had. And the point I'm trying to make is we can make changes, healthy changes, and move our family in the right direction. It didn't have to be an all or nothing. We're going to kill everybody in the process. I tried that before. It doesn't work too well. But just move everybody. Let's just move in this direction. Let's move in this direction. Let's do things that's going to encourage us in Jesus. That's going to increase our appetite for his presence. And so I would encourage you with with the stuff, if, if your kids are, you know, 24-7 Xbox or, or whatever, just encourage, again, ask Holy Spirit. Get with your spouse. Or if you're a single parent, you know, get with a close friend or someone and say, here's my desire. Would you pray with me? And Because and, I want the Lord to change the environment in our home and move in this direction. And let him give you ideas. Because if you get his ideas, not just my ideas, his ideas, it's going to work. Because he's going to give you grace to go along with it. One idea the Lord gave me years ago was to, as my kids started turning a certain age, he said, I want you to start, when they turn 11-ish, something like that, invite them to go on a ministry trip with you. So all my boys up to this point, excluding Benjamin, have all been on a ministry trip with me. And, and sometimes we would do a father-son fun ministry trip. I think I started doing these with, with Joseph and Grant, where we would, I would intentionally mix fun and Holy Spirit. 
And what I mean by that was we would intentionally go somewhere fun. Like with Joseph and I, we went to watch Oklahoma State and Iowa State play up in Ames, Iowa. The Holy Spirit actually told me, take Joseph to the OSU-Iowa State game in, in Ames. I'm like, Lord, can I wait till next year when they come here to Stillwater? You know how cold it is up in Ames in November? So anyway, so we did. We, as father and son, we went up. And what we, our intention was to have fun at the game. I think I had more fun than Joseph because of the outcome of the score. Anyway. But we had fun, and then we went to, we went to, uh, PG, no, Target, and we, we did treasure hunting. And so our intention, what I believe the intention of the Holy Spirit, was to show him that life, regular life, and him need to be mixed together. So we'd go to the game and have fun. We'd go to Target, and we'd treasure hunt, look for people to pray for. Did the same thing with Grant. Went to an amusement park, had fun, and then we'd go to the place and we're praying for people, mixing it up. Because I want to show them we need to include him in our everyday life. And not just, oh, it's not Sunday yet. I won't talk to you, Holy Spirit, for another two days. But mix it up. So they realize the reality of him and not just the religion of him. Amen? We want to help our kids develop an appetite for kingdom things. And that's not going to be accomplished through religion or religious activities. You know, and the one thing, and I'm going to close with this. Yeah, I'll close with this, this last thing after I make this statement. Is, you know, the statistics where our kids, they, they grow up, they move out of the home, then they turn away from God. You know, it's 80-something percent. I think a part of that is because we train them how to be religious. They learn how to go and act a certain way at church, act a certain way at home or school or whatever. And we think they're good because they come to church with us, they raise their hands and worship and everything's good. And then they go out in the real world where it's all about flesh and enticement and passion and sensuality and everything. And that religion that we train them cannot compete with the world. And they get sucked into that thing. You're thinking, what happened? They're thinking, what happened? Because that religion cannot compete with that. But passion for Jesus can compete. Because when it's loving Jesus or doing that, if I'm in love with him, it's going to be easier. It's just like my wife. When I make choices to do something that's going to be against her, if I love her, it's like, it's not even an issue. Like, no, thank you. So we want to encourage them and introduce them to a love relationship with him so that they can stand when they're out there on their own. The last thing, out of Revelations 2, 4, and 5, it says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. Do what you used to do when you were passionate about God, just like with your spouse. Those of you, when you first got married or when you were pursuing each other, men, you were pursuing your wife, used to take her out, used to date her, used to talk nice to her, used to buy her things, used to do all these things. And there was this passion and fun, used to dream together. And now 20 years later, you're not doing any of that. And you're wondering why your marriage is just kind of blocked. Well, do the things you used to do. Guys, you have permission to date your wives. Date your wives. 
I on? Do the things you used to do. And I think I shared this with you a couple of months ago. The Lord was reminding me, because it's like, man, what has happened to me? And the Lord began to show, remind me to do what I used to do. And I think, what did I used to do? Well, a lot of my passion included encountering people. Just people. Just loving on people. Love God, love people. And so I used to do stuff a lot. Intentionally. Sometimes I felt like it, sometimes I didn't, but I did it anyway. And, actually, and also I took my boys with me. And doing that. But I found myself that I quit. I got to a place to where my focus was just me. And I'd go into Walmart and get my groceries and leave. And wouldn't even think about encountering people. I realized, man, something has really changed in my heart. So then a while ago, recently, I started intentionally doing that again. I shared that with you. Coming up with phrases that I can say to people to just encourage and pack them. Well, as I was visiting a person, I was at the OU Medical Center. Visiting a, 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 a dear friend who's going through some health challenges and, and prayed for her and everything. And as I was leaving OU Medical Center, I saw these two ladies over here. And I think I shared this. I saw one lady had, two, had oxygen tanks and had the tubes in her nose and everything and a wheelchair. I saw them, but I kept going. And I wanted to go over and pray for them, but I kind of chickened out. And I walked out and I stopped. It's like, no, I'm not going to chicken out of this. So I turned back in and I went and I... Engage those two ladies, say, hey, how you guys doing? Sat down, introduced myself. Said, what's going on with the, what's going on with you? I don't remember what she told me, the medical stuff. But basically, she needed a new liver. Liver was gone. Needed a new liver. She's probably middle-aged, maybe 50s. So we're talking. All of a sudden, you know what, I'm going for it. I said, can I ask you a question? Would you, I said, let's ask God for a miracle. What do you need him to do? And she goes, Well, I need a new liver. Let's ask him. I laid hands on her. I said, Father, we're asking you for a new liver. All praying and healing and just going for it. Then all of a sudden, the other lady, her friend, I start prophesying over her, praying for her, all this kind of stuff. Then we had a great time together. Then I left and I said, Here's a card. If when you get your miracle, would you call me? She said, Absolutely. So I made no way to connect with her. She, if she's going to connect, she had to call me. Two or three days ago, I get a text. Recognize the number. I don't know if you remember this. I don't know if you remember Susie and Diane. You prayed for us at the OU Medical Center. Please give me a call. I'd like to tell you what God has done. I give her a call. I say, hey, how's it going? We're talking everything. And she said, on the 27th of November, she received a new liver transplant. Of course, I was thinking, you know, miraculous as far as brand new. But she needed a new liver, and she got a new liver. She wasn't complaining. You know, I wanted the other kind, but this is the kind I got stuck with. And then I have a friend who's in this church who needs a liver. You remember that scripture that says, Spirit of the, let's see, testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy? Remember that? When you hear a testimony of what Jesus has done, he's prophesying that he wants to do it again. I remembered. I'm sitting there vacuuming, you know, listening to my worship music, vacuuming. All of a sudden, I'm reminded, wait a minute. I know a lady in our church that needs a new liver. So I text her. It was kind of almost late. I, t- I said, hey, are you awake still? Yep. I said, you got time for a quick phone call? She 
said, sure. So I called her. I said, hey, can I share a quick story with you? I shared that story I just shared with you. And I said, let's pray and get a new liver. She goes, I'm with you. So we prayed. Prayed, and I'm waiting. This was just a couple of nights ago. And, you know, I wonder, you know, the thoughts. That lady, would she have received a new liver if I wouldn't have encountered her? God wants to encounter people through you. He wants to mess people up with his love. He wants to overwhelm them with his goodness. Will you let him? Let's stand. I went six minutes over today because we didn't have the timer on. See? See? You don't have the timer on. The things that the Lord, the Lord has been encouraging me to do is working. My passion for him is pretty awesome. Love with him, passionate about him. My desire is for you to be passionate about him too. So let's pray. Invite him. Holy Spirit, we just thank you again for your goodness. We do invite you to work in our hearts, our lives, our souls. Help us to recognize the things that are diminishing. Passion for you. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for ideas that will help us, that will encourage us, that will turn the table, that will transform the atmosphere in our homes and our families. We want your reality to be manifest in our homes. We want miracles and healings to become everyday occurrences. And so, Lord, we just know that all we need to do is just align ourselves with you, in cooperation with you. Choose to do that. It is all about you, Father. And to make it that way, we want to keep it that way. That we just invite you to convict us, to change us, to challenge us. Love you. I just want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, whatever the, whatever the practical ideas he's putting in your heart, I'd encourage you to write those down or record those somewhere. Begin to talk to your spouse if you're married and say, hey, what do you feel like God is saying? Begin to compare notes. Begin to move together as a family towards him. Amen? All right, don't forget about Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. Then next Sunday, uh, we have our family dinner. And also, as you, dis- as you leave, check with Lisa. Um, if you have questions about the ARS uh, dessert deal, and if you want to sign up for that for Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. God bless you. You guys have a great week.